Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, you do too much too soon, which is what a lot of runners do. You're starting to exceed the capacity to adapt. The body is going, okay, you're giving me too much. Your body isn't strong enough to handle it. The body's going to respond with pain and injury. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Supercharged and ready to rock, baby. This is the Running With Jake podcast with me, your host, Jake Lowe. Great to have your company once again for another awesome show. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. I'm in a super mood today, more super than normal. I'm wearing a happy T-shirt. Peter, yeah, you see that on yeah, the, so you the video are. phone. Yeah, I've is... got my happy T-shirt on. I'm in a good mood off the back of a fantastic weekend. I, was, I had goosebumps for all the guys and girls taking part in the virtual edition of the Great North Run. This was just epic, obviously, People are having to change a lot uh, in terms of their aspirations and goals with events this year. But yeah, loads of people out there doing their thing, following the Great North Run app. And actually, it's a nice stepping stone. It got me fired up and excited. Even though I'm not taking part in the virtual edition of the 40th London Marathon, I feel like I am. I'm so excited for everyone. Everybody banking their last long run over the weekend. There was loads of people jumping on my Facebook saying they did their 20 miler and their last long run and training's been going well or not so well. They're going to wing it on the day they're going to see how it goes they've got their fellow run club buddies helping them so super excited to see how that training is uh, going to go over the next few weeks for you guys and if you are taking part in the london marathon remember not to panic train that is super important trust what you've done trust the work you've done so far and you will have an awesome day we have another great show lined up for you today. We're speaking to Brody. Now, this guy, he's oh, cool. He's, he's great, Aust- yeah. Yeah, he's, he's an Australian. He is a fellow podcaster. We've uh, been trying to set up a call with him for ages now, like absolute top guy. I've got to say, I'm very, very, very impressed that we have this call to play for you today. I, 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 I feared for my podcast life. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. This was a difficult call to set up. And It was. You. Yeah. You. A, yeah. You, Pete, yes. were in danger of offending him. Well, offending our fellow podcaster guest in Australia. It was hard to set up the call, obviously, with the time difference and stuff. He was at the end of his day, ready to kind of wrap up for the evening. We just started, just woken up. I'm not sure if you were half asleep. I, I think I think maybe came over wrong. I was just really excited about having a, an Australian, a real live Australian from Australia on the show. I've known many Australians in this country, but a real live Australian who lives in Australia, uh, I was really, really excited to have him on. And obviously, I wanted to show him how I was very much a fan of the Australian people and the Australian way of life. I mean, that's all great, but how do you explain this? You're now on a podcast with with a couple of uh, whining poms, uh, which I know is what we are. So, um, just to make you feel more comfortable, mate, I've got, uh, got oh, an Austra- go. Australian hat. Australian hat? I mean, you could you could hear my embarrassed laugh there. I'm thinking, I, I just, what is he doing? Just stop now. You're on the video phone, and we were doing this via Zoom. Unfortunately, this call was via Zoom. So we've got Brody on, we've never met him before. You're sat there in your home studio in an Australian hat with corks. I mean, what what, what were you thinking? I, I just wanted to show that I'm that I'm very much with the Australian people. I wanted him to feel comfortable about being on our podcast uh, with these two foreign guys. That's what I thought, that's what I wanted to do. And then this happened. And I don't wear this all the time, obviously, but what I do have in my uh, studio slash office all the time is, yeah, boomerang, baby. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, God. I just wanted to show my boomerang. It's always there. You know, I'm proud, I mean, of, I'm proud of the boomerang. He so didn't care. The last thing on his mind was, that's, that's great. 
You're more Aussie than I am. That's crazy. I'm, I've, um, I'm going to get myself a ute next week. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, there you go. There you go, just ticking all the boxes, cool. aren't you? Yeah. At, that's, at that point, I'm thinking, oh, no. I don't know, I don't know if I've gone too far. I don't know if... if I, I wanted to show how I'm, how I'm akin to the Australian people. It almost, it almost came across as though you realised you had this awareness at some point, like a moment of clarity, where you'd gone too far, you were in too deep. You can't, And then you had two choices, either backtrack, which was clearly impossible for you, or just keep going, and you chose to keep going. Well, it was impossible, bearing in mind I've got cork swinging around my head, and I've got a, a, a boomerang in the shot as well. Well, take it from me, we've got a great call lined up with Brody. Make sure you listen to it, because I'll tell you something, he's not going to come back on the show. <laughs> running with Jake, the podcast. Your weekly dose of running motivation. Out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. Well, regular listeners of the show will know that we are all over the world with our podcast. I had a running coach from India the other week, and now we're speaking to Brody, who is in Oz. Brody, it's good to speak to you. How are you doing today? Very good, Jake. Thanks for having me on. And um, thanks, Pete, as well. Uh, I hope Pete gets an, a lot of recognition on the podcast. I'm not sure if he does or not, but he seems to be doing all the heavy lifting. Do you know, uh, Brody, I get too much recognition. Uh, you're right. You're right okay, about good. the heavy lifting, though. I'm always sending emails and doing stuff like that. It's just, <laughs> I've tied myself out some days. We have toyed with renaming the podcast Running with Pete, but we're not quite sure yet. We'll put it to the board. We're still waiting a response on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can run together. You want to see me run, mate, and then you take that back (laughs) (laughs) Brody you are the man that we need to have on this show you are top physio breakthrough running clinic that's your baby isn't it that's what you were uh, you put a lot of your energy and passion into And, and I understand that you want to not only as a physiotherapist you want to treat your patients of course you want to help people to come back from injury but what I'm really interested in is you want to educate them you want to give them the knowledge oh yeah we do (laughs) <laughs> Why do so many flipping runners get injured? What's going on, Brody? What can we do between us to prevent this? I mean, what is it? Is it the is it lack of knowledge? Is it purely down to the impact, the nature of the sport? Is it people doing too much too soon? The Breakthrough Running Clinic is my baby. It's like my online clinic that I have where I see runners around the world. And I also have like the, um, the Run Smarter podcast. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today, trying to educate runners as much as we can. Because, like you said... Um, We could do this whole episode just on this one question, but why do runners get injured? And it shows, like, the science does show the majority, the vast majority of running injuries are due to training errors. And so you can apply that. You can essentially say that people are getting injured because they're making incorrect decisions because they're not well-educated or they are educated but just not executing. They know what to do, but they just don't do it. And it is essentially around the doing too much too soon or um, a couple of other little nitty-gritty things. But most people that when they do get injured, they can look back on the last couple of days or the week and be like, yeah, I know where I went wrong. I know what's gone on. But they just really struggle to forecast their next couple of weeks of their running program just to um, how they need to implement it and that's where they go wrong that's where they come off the wheels and that's where they start getting injured and then once they are like starting to produce symptoms once they're starting to get a little bit of knee pain or a little bit of heel pain it's like correctly interpreting those symptoms and then what to do about it a lot of people find themselves in a really tricky point and uh, you know, symptoms get more aggravated. The injury just goes on and on. And the longer they've had it, the harder it is to get rid of. And that's where they find themselves. And that's where I come in. 
I mean, you talk about the, the art and the science of, of avoiding injury and overcoming injury, and I'm really interested in the art part of that. As much as the science, I think a lot of people know about the science in terms of not necessarily the nitty-gritty, as you mentioned, but they know that the science element is important in terms of how to avoid injury. But there is a skill here. There is an art form, isn't there, to, to listening to the body. Yeah, and as you say, oh, when you first get a sign or a runner gets a sign that there may be a problem, how do they interpret that as a problem and not just some expected soreness or some discomfort that you get from running? I guess this is more of a problem for newer runners, right? Yes, it is an art. Yes, it is a science. Like the in the start of my podcast, I have like my entire season is dedicated to educating like universal principles when it comes to injuries and uh, interpreting symptoms correctly and how to train effectively and all that kind of stuff, how to recover properly. That's kind of like the science. You can apply that to any runner. It's like uniform. But when it comes to the art of things, that's when you have to kind of tailor to the individual. Like we all have our strengths, weaknesses. We all have our weak points. We all have a different starting point. If someone does get injured, where do they start with their exercises? Um, Do they have to have time off running? Do they have to continue running? Like that's where the the expert guidance comes. can come into it and that's where the art does come into it is trying to t- tailor to the individual as much as we can if symptoms do arise like if someone does have early signs of some sort of pain is it good pain is it bad pain how do we interpret that because a lot of people have this um what we call doms delayed onset muscle soreness if you do an exercise that's new if you go heavier or if you do it more intense than what you're used to the next day you're going to be sore and it's interpreting that like is it an injury or is it just general muscle soreness because you'd know as being a pt the the muscle soreness the delayed onset muscle soreness or those doms that's actually a good thing that's what we want to do to get stronger and if someone goes to the gym and does the same reps weights every single time and doesn't receive that those doms they're not really getting stronger we need to kind of hit that adaptation zone and um, the muscles need to repair and get stronger and become a more resilient athlete as a result but you can interpret them slightly differently. So when it comes to DOMS, which is this good muscle pain, if someone's had, if someone's doing an intense running session or doing some hill sessions, they might feel sore the next day. And generally speaking, um, the pain itself won't come on during the run. It won't come on soon after the run. It's usually felt either the next morning or 24 hour, within 24 hours. Um, very rarely, or well, if you say, if you start getting these symptoms during the run or 10 minutes after or once you've cooled down or an hour after, you can interpret that as something gone wrong or you've overdone something, you've overused a joint or a ligament or, uh, yeah, those symptoms aren't really great. If the next morning you wake up and the muscles are sore, so it's located generally like quite vague within the muscle belly or and, and it kind of just makes sense, um, that's a good thing. And an injury per se is a little bit more localized like you could kind of point to one tendon or you can point to within the joint itself um the healthy doms symptoms are usually in the muscle belly it's kind of like vague if that if that makes sense it it makes perfect sense because i think the key here uh, when identifying if if it's doms or not that soreness is the fact it stands for delayed onset of muscle soreness so like you're saying if it's during a run man then that could be a bit of a problem potentially especially if it's quite localized in a specific joint tendon you know soft soft tissue but actually afterwards if you're thinking 24 or 48 hours later then there's probably a good sign if it's general that it's it's muscle soreness from the stress you've provided to the body right 100 percent. and then usually those doms they will generally go away within two three days i 
I don't really see Del- uh, the Doms lasting that long and sometimes it might be like uh, if you had a real intense workout, it might be four days maximum. But people tend to recover in two days, three days, and then they're good sure. to go again. And that means that you've adapted. It means that the body's recovered. They're good to go again. But an injury might last you know, a week or two. If something's lasting a week or two, it's definitely not good pain. I'll tell you that. Can we just dial it back a second, just taking it to the, the, the thing that we've mentioned a couple of times is, is the, the stress and stress response. Now, we know that, I think we all know in 2020, life can be very stressful and there's positive stress and <laughs> not so good stress. And what we want to do is provide positive stress to the body, right? So that it has to adapt. And you talk about that adaptation. Just to remind people and, and also to uh, educate people that are perhaps unaware of that obviously when we go out and do a training session there is a goal even if we're not fully aware of what that goal necessarily is there's a purpose behind it to improve and that's where that adaptation is involved can you just explain the process of that a little bit and why adaptation is is so important i know this is your bag look he's rolled his sleeves up on the video phone here pete he's up brody's up for it (laughs) let's let's dive into this the i'm glad that you asked that question because like any runner, any athlete needs to know this this one thing and it's adaptation. It is like the first episode that I've done on my podcast. It's about adaptation education. It is like it's the one thing that we need to know. People need to realise that when you work out, when you strain your body, when you put yourself through a certain workload, you are either underloading your body, you're ideally like optimising within that adaptation zone or you're overdoing it and you're exceeding your load capacity and the body is amazing at uh, responding to a stimulus that you give it if you provide an ideal load what will happen is the body will respond the body will get stronger and it will adapt to what you've given it whether that be cycling whether it be swimming running playing soccer anything like that um so what we need to try and work out as runners or as an individual is where is my adaptation zone? Because for some so elite, elite athletes, their adaptation zone is so much higher than a recreational runner. And that's where anything comes in. So if, let's just say, a gold medal 100-meter sprinter, they go out and they do a really slow 4K, that's not enough to trigger an adaptation zone. That's not enough for them. To, it's not enough stimulus for uh building strength whereas a recreational runner or a new runner who's just starting out it might even be just a k of just jogging or just like a mile of just a really slow pace that might be enough to start triggering that adaptation zone and if it's done enough uh, if you're hitting that adaptation zone frequently enough what will happen is your body will adapt it will get stronger and your adaptation zone will start to increase so that you need to follow that elevation you need to follow that build up of um, the adaptation zone in order to continuously receive benefits because if you run 5Ks and you hit that adaptation zone and you do that, you do 5Ks three times a week and you do that for six months, you'll get to a point where you plateau and you won't get any fitter because you're not following that growth of adaptation zone and it'll just plateau and you're not really stimulating the body enough to trigger anything. But on the other side, if you do too much and you do too much too soon, which is what a lot of runners do, you're starting to exceed the capacity to adapt. The body is going, okay, you're giving me too much. I can't really I can't really start to get stronger because it's just way too much. And that's when overload injuries come in. That's when running-related injuries come in. So like tendon issues or uh, ligament issues or muscle strains, all that kind of stuff, because your body isn't strong enough to handle it. And that's uh, the body's going to respond with pain and injury 
I can see why your clients enjoy working with you so much because you explain things really well, especially something that's quite technical, quite sciencey. It's not black and white. It's not an exact science. We know that sometimes it's quite difficult for for us to get ahead around, but you explain it so well, and I think that will come across well to our listeners, and they'll really benefit from it. Keep chasing it. You need to keep chasing that adaptation zone, but you also need to respect the that the adaptation zone is um, like it's manipulated. It's manipulated with what you do. It's manipulated with recovery, and that's why someone like you having a running coach, having someone to follow, and having a planned routine, and having someone who can work through different circumstances. If they go on holidays for two weeks, when I return, what do I do now? And it's like like trying to follow a plan where there is some sort of progression in there and taking it like just following along and making sure that you're listening to your body along the way. Like if you're waking up and you're constantly sore or you constantly have these doms and it's like um, you're not feeling refreshed for a lot of your runs, maybe there's something in there in in the intensity, maybe there's something in the variety within that run Um, or maybe you're just bored or maybe you're um, not seeing the benefits or you're not seeing like a uh, an increase in your speed or uh, intensity maybe there's something to do with the the training plan so that's why people like you are in the industry it's having someone who leaves you accountable and can also build a plan for you because I think that's what coaches are so good at doing yeah, you've got to be flexible, haven't you? I mean, I've, I've learned from my own mistakes. You know, there's there's no no question of that, Brody, and that's often how we learn, isn't it? By tripping up a couple of times and thinking, oh, that hurt, I won't do that again, and we go off at a slightly different angle with a bit more logic and structure, and in this case, science and art. How do we find that optimum zone? Now, I know that's difficult, the optimum yeah. adaptation zone, and I know this is going to be a tricky one to answer, but I want to throw it your way anyway. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about elite athletes as you mentioned that will have to really push really hard to get to that zone because their body has such a high level for uh, capacity to deal with that stress actually they've really got to push themselves the other end of the scale if you've got somebody that's just embarking on their first 5k venture you know the couch to 5k program then actually they don't really have to put in that much work to see great results they might feel like they're putting in lots and lots of work because to them it's all new, but in reality, they're going to get a big return, aren't they, for the for the effort invested? How, once we get a little bit more experience, can we sort of? How do we find that optimum zone? Well, that's where the art comes in. Like you said, it's it's tailoring to the individual. And when I have an athlete comes in and says, "I want to start running," and you need to find a starting point for them, you need to base in all these individual factors. Like, have they? been doing team sports for the last five years have they been playing basketball for the last five years and you think they have a good baseline fitness they're jumping running sprinting doing all that sort of stuff you probably say yeah you could probably deal with quite a lot right now you could probably deal with a 5k 10k but let's just see let's just start somewhere and see how you go and on the other side if you've got an individual who has never ran before they want to lose weight they want to um it's new year's resolution as everyone goes through they're going to get a health kick they're going to get a gym membership they're going to start eating healthy and then they're going to start running you need to say, okay, over the last 12 months, what have they done? What's their activity levels? What? Just get a gauge. Ask a couple of general health questions. Ask a, a um, previous level of injuries, previous uh, activity, physical activity, and then you need to gauge. Okay, you need to slow. You need a slow start, or you need a um, a bit more of a, a push. And that's where the the art comes into it. That's where they're tailored for the individual. 
But if you don't have access to someone to give you that guidance, what I would say is you just start off super conservative and build your way up from there. And if someone starts super conservative, then there's no way they're going to get injured. But if you're building up from there every single time, maybe increasing distance or maybe increasing speed, uh, then you're not going to, it's never going to be too excessive, but we're always being progressive. And so maybe we're starting underneath their adaptation zone, but we're eventually going to hit it. And then we're eventually going to start following that adaptation zone as it progresses. I hope uh, that answers your question. What time is it over there? What time are you going to bed? Because there's so much I want to talk about. Are you okay? Do you need to grab a coffee? <laughs> I can talk all day. This is, this is awesome. I love all that stuff. It's You're right. So for me that's a coach or any coach who's listened to this show or runners that are, uh, work with a coach, you'll know that it's about adapting the individual's training. And for me, certainly, it's about building a profile of the runner. I can't get to know a runner overnight. You know, it takes time to get to know a runner. Even after the consultation process, you still have to build a profile if you're not working with a coach you've got to do that self-reflection haven't you you've got to ask yourself those questions reflect back over your history have you done any exercise have you not done any exercise if you have what sort of exercise what try and build a picture of your tolerance levels i guess is what you're saying which is really important i know you're really passionate about a subject that really interests me and that's running frequency and this is something that can be often overlooked And, and you talk about um how running frequency can be really helpful uh, and is important in providing that 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 stress and that uh, getting the adaptation that we're all looking for to increase our fitness. Tell me a little bit more about frequency and 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 why it's so important. I call this like adaptation hacking, and it's like this bit of information that you can gain in order to fully reap the rewards of adaptation. Well, we love hacks. And we Let's know, go with the hacks. Yeah, we love hacks. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's. A general, like when a runner starts running, they'll usually run maybe twice, maybe three times a week. But their um, perceived kind of, their goal, their perceived goal is they need to max themselves out and get like a really big um, heavy workout, like breathing heavily, hands on their knees, like hunched over. Then they've had a good workout. Then they're sore for two days, three days. And it's once they're feeling better again is when they do their second run. And they they tend to have that mentality, and it's what they're doing is they're playing with that red that red line that adaptation zone. They're just slightly exceeding it or just slightly under it. It's it's that's where they're they're staying, and they do that maybe twice a week because every other day is their recovery day because it takes them too long to recover. And what when we're talking about frequency, we're mainly talking about how many sessions you do in a week, and. What we want to do, what we want to achieve if we want to see gains, uh, if we want to see better gains faster is trying to hit that adaptation zone as often as we can uh, while allowing the body to recover as much as we can. And so what I like to say is we want to aim for maybe the middle of that adaptation zone, maybe not at that top top end of that adaptation zone that way you recover a lot quicker you can probably take you could probably run the next day or you could probably take like one day off and then you're hitting that adaptation zone the following day which is maybe about three or four times a week and most runners will say that like if, if a running coach most running coaches will say that the bulk of your training the like 80 percent of your training should be at quite a low intensity because it's still enough to trigger adaptation usually if someone goes for a five like a 3k walk that's not a lot to trigger adaptation. But like a 4K run, like a really a slow 4K run, that's enough to trigger adaptation. And if you feel great the next day, then you're, um, you can go for another run, do that same thing again. And if you feel, if your body feels great, your body's recovering from that, do it again the next day. And if your frequency is around 
four or five times and you're always hitting that adaptation zone compared to someone who's doing it two days or uh, two times a week and spending a lot of time recovering, they're not going to adapt as quick. They're not going to, um, the body isn't going to adapt as efficiently. And so the bulk of the stuff should be really low intensity, which still triggers that adaptation zone. And then if you want to perform, if you've got a race to prepare for, then you want to, that other 20% can kind of be that top end, that higher intensity work where they can start seeing those benefits, um, like a, a different slight trigger in adaptation. But Generally speaking, if you want to get faster, if you want to start adapting and getting stronger quicker, we want to um, make sure that we're not going in that red line and we're doing it more often. I think there's some people out there that will say, well, I'm, I run regularly. Well, if you run on the first of every month all year, then you're a regular runner, but you don't necessarily run frequently. <laughs> so there is a difference there. <laughs> and I think it's important to, to establish that, that look, if you can increase your frequency a little bit, then you're going to potentially push yourself more towards that optimum stress response zone obviously you've got to be careful you've got to test everything's a test isn't it you know uh, keep keep the um, the risk quite low and see how you adapt love yeah. it so let's say fast forward somebody gets injured oh my gosh somebody's injured we've all been injured i'm sure you've been injured before brody uh, a big fear is not only how long is it going to be before i'm back running but am i going to go backwards am i going to lose fitness what do i do Tell me a little bit about the reality of how much fitness an individual loses. I'm sure it's quite individual, but there must be some kind of uh, knowledge you can throw our way that gives us a bit more of an insight. Yeah, great question. Um, when someone does get injured, we are basing on individual factors, but uh, one of the key points to rehab once someone is injured, they... <laughs> First of all, that's when you need guidance because if someone is injured, if there's a if there's a runner that gets injured, they're, f- they're at constant fear that they're going to lose fitness. So what they do is they run again and think it's okay and it makes it worse. And then they're like, oh, I just need um, a couple of days. And they go again, it gets worse. And then they say, oh, okay, it's, I'm not ready for running. Let me have two weeks off and I'll try again in two weeks and let me see how that goes. And it's like this yo-yo sort of thing. They're either pushing themselves where the injury is getting... Um, where the injury is getting inflamed or getting aggravated. And then you've got the other side where people just have complete rest and it's not doing anything because you're getting weaker, you're losing fitness, you're doing all this sort of stuff. So it's finding the balance, finding what we can do. And that's where uh, we have professionals that say, you know what, you actually probably can run. We just want, we might try and um, reduce their intensity. We might try and reduce your duration. We might try and do something just to keep, um, c- keep you active something like that. But what we need to find is, okay, maybe if you can't run, maybe let's do some cycling, maybe let's do some swimming, maybe let's do some get on the rower, that kind of stuff. That's where uh, you're still staying active, so you're still maintaining some level of fitness. We're, do- we're doing something, but what's, uh, what's the, the key point is that we stay active and if you do need time off running, then uh, we're building up strength, we're maintaining that, and then we slowly get back into running. So it would depend on the level of injury, depend on the, the aggravating factors, it would depend on the type of injury, if it's a tendon or if it's a muscle or if it's a joint. Um, but generally speaking, we want to try and keep them as active as we can that won't flare up symptoms. And that way, when we slowly get back to running, they're fit, they're still healthy, they're still mentally they're they're feeling quite good about themselves because if we give them some sort of outlet uh we give them some alternative to still stay active then they're still positively feeling better about themselves like emotionally they're feeling better about themselves because 
most of them just like if they're injured they just hate just having to rest and having to stop and you know the the runners the the type a personalities the ones that have to keep going they have to keep doing something and then when they're forced to you know sit down and rest an injury that's when it drives them crazy and that's where the the real damage is done the emotional side is a, a real important factor isn't it to consider and i think whether that's a, a coach uh, a physiotherapist a chiropractor an osteopath whether that's a running club buddy as soon as we know somebody that is injured it's i i find it's often about helping that individual to see things in a positive light to think to look at the bigger picture perhaps hold them back a little bit as well particularly if they're a type a driven personality as you touch on whereby they just want to get back out there again you know it's kind of like pulling the reins in a little bit but people obviously feel bummed out they're down in the doldrums you know am i ever going to run again and it's just about kind of again going back to that word educating and and reminding people that actually look this isn't the end of the world here it just feels like it right now think about the future you don't want to keep pushing right now and then you become it becomes a long 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 term problem and an issue that you're plagued with for the rest of your running career i will add as well when someone does get injured when when i see them uh my first thought is okay can they can can they still run can we still get them running can they still be running what do we need to change in order for them to still run that's like the first go-to thing and like you said that's when um they still stay active they still stay engaged but we might say okay we need to avoid hills or we need to avoid downhills we need to put you in more supportive shoes or we need to you know there's stuff that we can manipulate in order for them to still be running we might have to back off the the sprint sort of interval sessions that kind of stuff and yeah and then obviously if they can't run or if we've tried to still keep them running and are still being aggravated that's we need to pull them back and give them an alternative but they usually appreciate that we're still getting them to run because a lot of people will avoid seeing a doctor or avoid seeing a health professional because all they're going to do is tell me that I can't run and I don't want that so I'm going to just try it on my own continue running and then mismanaging an injury you're on the money there I I would love to come and see you because I want to be told (laughs) when I'm injured look you can still run Jake it's okay but you might just need to manage one or two areas and manipulate as as you mentioned this is a long-term thing you know you do make quick uh, adaptations initially as we said you know 5k when you're first learning to run but then it can kind of slow down a little bit but it takes a long time you've got to be patient but that's that's good right that's really, really for the long term that's where the type a personalities come into it like it's good to have a goal it's good to have a running goal and like um drive towards that you know you're self-driven you're self-motivated it's what the qualities that everyone sees in a runner but then there's obviously some caveats to that and there's the the impatient types that really want to like you want done now you want to get ready you 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 know these go-getter type personalities sometimes can swing too much the other way and become dangerous but people can become runners in four to six weeks like from scratch i've seen runners that love the amount of um physical performance they've increased to like they've got to this level in four to six weeks they're more than happy to stay there so you can become a runner um within that time frame just depends on what type of runner you want to be you won't be a marathoner definitely not but uh, you'll get somewhere and um as long as you're like you say you've said this a couple of times today self-reflecting self-reflecting on where you've been where you have been and where you're going to now um and just constantly if you want to become a better runner then you need to start adapting but you know, you look at marathon runners and they didn't get there overnight either. They've, uh, especially those ultra guys and girls, they've they've spent years and years and years developing something and fine-tuning something in order to 
reap those benefits. So um, that'd be my answer. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, Brody, and your your great work, where can they uh, connect with you? Because I know you've got the Run Smarter series, obviously the podcast, and you do a lot of work online as well. You've got various Facebook groups. So tell me about that. Yeah, I think uh, for the like the first step, if you are a runner and you want to educate yourself, I think going to the podcast is the first step. So it's the Run Smarter podcast. You can search wherever you find your podcasts. And a lot of people feel intimidated when it comes to educating themselves. Like it seems like a massive task. It seems like it's just way too much. I'm never going to learn this or all this scientific stuff. But like you said, if you if you have the simple concepts and a simple teacher that can teach like these really um, simple universal principles, then it becomes really easy. And so the podcast is the, the best way that people can do that. If they want to become more involved, they can go to uh, the podcast Facebook group. And so that's the Run Smarter Podcast. You can um, search that on Facebook. Uh, the Breakthrough Running Clinic is if someone is injured and they would uh, like they're frustrated and they want to um, overcome their injury once and for all with more long-term strategies. I do offer a lot of um, online physio for people. I've, I have been seeing a couple of people in the UK as well. Um, most of the people I see have seen a physio, they've seen an osteo or they've seen someone and they've gone through back and forth between health professionals and usually 12 months down the track, 15 months down the track is usually when they see me. So um, <laughs> that's when uh, I guess my expertise comes in and education is a, a massive thing. So uh, if they want to do that, then they can go to breakthroughrunning.physio. Um, but yeah, my I've got a Run Smarter website as well. So it's runsmarter.online if anyone wants to see the blogs or see the podcast or any other stuff that I've got going on. I was having a look at your website actually, Brody, and I think uh, one of the things that really leapt out for me, and I love this, this was awesome. Uh, in one of your eBooks, you uh, talk about a fix Tish's character called Injury Prone Pete. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like you were meant to be on the show. I mean, I'm just like, Injury Prone Pete. It couldn't be more accurate. Have you ha- have you ever had anybody who's uh, injured themselves being fired out of a cannon? Brody, because that's what injury prone Pete did actually. Yeah, I, wow. I did. I did that, and um, it doesn't. I don't just have to be fired out of a cannon to be injured. I can be injured just by walking upstairs. I'm a non-running guy. Um, I've started running recently, and uh, I just hurt all the time, man. Seriously, um, having having seen the way that you do things, uh, and one, one thing that I, I find really interesting is how you actually do the physio stuff online. Because in my mind, when I think of a, a physio, I think of somebody who you turn up to, he rubs stuff into you <laughs> then he sends you on his way and then you, maybe I've been going to the wrong place I don't know oh, um, maybe. But, uh, but, but how does how does that how does that work online because I think it's genius because obviously you know we're moving much more towards online businesses and, and that's that that still has the potential to thrive massively and your 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 market is the entire world how does that how does that work in, in that model especially prior to COVID when I was saying I was doing telehealth and they're like how does that work what about if I need a massage and my answer is that most of the people that I see, they're the ones that are far beyond a massage or a stretch or dry needling, that kind of thing. Because the more long-term issues, they're, uh, they're requiring like a change in their running, uh, strengthening, like these long-term solutions. And we solve that with either looking at how they're running, looking at doing some strength tests, providing them with the right education is a must doing the um, correct guidance, taking the, re- the next steps, interpreting symptoms and all these things that we can implement. We don't need hands-on work, but 
Um, on the caveat of that, like if someone sees me and it's a really acute injury and they do need some sort of hands-on work or some sort of manipulation or dry needling, whatever have you, um, I offer, I say to them, okay, look, this isn't appropriate for online physio. You go see your local physio. I'll give them a handover in terms of what exactly you need. And that's kind of like my guarantee to, um, to them that they've asked me and I said, okay, we're not appropriate. Um, I give them a refund and I refer them or I um, give a handover to the physio they're booked in with. That way they receive my education. They need dry needling. They need this. They need that. But like I said, most of the people that come to me are the ones that have had it for 12 months. They've had uh, 12 months plus of plantar fasciitis or a high hamstring tendinopathy or something. And the last thing they need is hands-on work with them because they've gone, got shockwave, they've gone and got like massage after massage after massage and nothing's working. And that's when we need to disrupt that pattern and try something different. And there's so much education around strengthening, rehab, doing all these active rehab, education, all this sort of stuff for long-term benefits and online physio can do all that. If you want to find out more about the Breakthrough Running Clinic then go to the show notes page at runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Brody, it's been an absolute pleasure. Stay in touch, man. Loved it. Thanks, guys. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and follow us on social media. It's hashtag AskJake. Let's take another one of your questions and help you get the most out of this awesome sport that is running. Karen wants to know, what is the best thing to eat the evening before a long run? Now, Karen, this is very individual. It's very personal, as a lot of things are with running. You've kind of got to find what works for you. But I'm going to throw you some thoughts and suggestions here. If you're doing a really long run, let's say on a Sunday morning, which is classic, or if you're doing a big race, so a big distance like a marathon, then actually the lunchtime on the Saturday, that meal may well be more important than the evening. A lot of people wait until late in the evening to then gorge on pasta and high-carbohydrate food. But I would shift the focus to more lunchtime. It gives your body time to digest and process it. It potentially lowers the risk of throwing up any surprises on the day of your run or your race. I would try to keep the meal relatively high in carbohydrate, although you don't need to go bonkers, and obviously be mindful of how long that run is. Because on a Sunday, five miles for an individual is a long run, and for the next person, 20 miles is a long run. So kind of be mindful of what your distance is, and I would avoid high fat and high fibre. Keep it simple, but above all, test in training, ready for future races. I hope that helps. If you've got a question, it's hashtag AskJake. That's it for another episode of the Running With Jake podcast. It's been great to have you company. We will be back here next week, of course, for another hit, another dose of your weekly running motivation. Have a great week. If you are gearing yourself up for the virtual edition of the London Marathon, the 40th ever race in a few weeks' time, just make sure you train smart. Don't push too much. And let's get you to that starting line in one piece. That's it. It's a wrap. We're out of here. Oh, and one last thing. Dream it, wish it, do it. You flaming galah.